Good morning, everyone. How's it going? Good? Well, this morning we are continuing our series, Personal Parables. These are all parables that are personal to me, ones that have been helpful to me in my walk with God, challenging to me, definitely challenging to me in my walk with God, and the hope is that uh, they will do the same to you as we go through them. So uh, this morning we're going to be taking a look at a parable in Matthew um, chapter 18. Uh, To start, though, I want to talk about, uh, very briefly, uh, my wife. I've been married now for... um, Two and a half years, we got married right in the middle of the pandemic. Thank you. Um, thank you, Jess. Um, we've been, uh, we got married right in the middle of the pandemic in her parents' backyard. Our, our wedding went from like 175 people to 11 really quick. Um, as an introvert, maybe that was okay for me. Um, yeah, we got, we got married for a lot of different reasons. Uh, we both really had a, a similar vision for what we wanted our lives to look like in following Jesus and, and using our lives to glorify him. Uh, we both wanted to use the Bible as our authority, uh, even when it was difficult. You know, we wanted to obey what it said. Um, and there, there's a bunch of other things, too. We love board games, we love sports, love Lord of the Rings. Um, we got married for a lot of different reasons, but we, we have stayed married uh, for... Simply, I think the fact that we have made it a habit to forgive each other along the way. And not just forgiving by saying some like magic word, like, oh, I forgive you. Like, yeah, okay. But, but really learning how to forgive from the heart is what we've made it a habit to do. And we are still learning to do that. We have a lifetime of learning how to do that. But we're, we're learning how to forgive as Jesus forgave us. Um, I think we all know that forgiveness is, is critical for relationships to flourish, and not just between husband and wife, but in, in all relationships, right? With parents, siblings, children, roommates, coworkers, right? Because we are all, we're all imperfect. We all make mistakes. And I'm sure you can all think of a relationship, maybe one in your life or, or people you knew who, who had a relationship that just deteriorated because of a lack of forgiveness. You know, something happens, maybe something else, bitterness builds up, and that just relationship just falls apart. So this morning, we're going to take a look at forgiveness and the impact that it has in our lives. And I think there are probably two types of people here this morning. I think the first type of person, when I said we are going to talk about forgiveness, someone's picture just jumped into your mind. And you already know who it is you need to forgive this morning. Maybe multiple people, perhaps. What I would encourage you as we're going through the text this morning, I encourage you, you know, take this seriously. Don't just shove it under the rug or something, or really take a look and see uh, the example that Jesus gives us. And I, and I challenge you to extend forgiveness to that person whose, whose picture jumped in your mind. I think the second type of person is the one who says, oh, I'm good. Everyone loves me. <laughs> and I love everyone, right? You're putting away your notes. Uh, I, I challenge you this morning to think if that's really true. Because we're going to take a look at how Jesus forgives us. And that is a very high standard as we're going to see. Jesus is, of course, the standard for forgiveness that we're given in Scripture. An example of this we can find in Ephesians chapter 4, 31 and 32. Paul calls us to do this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So that is our standard, right? As God in Christ has forgiven us. So in order to understand forgiveness, biblical forgiveness, right, true forgiveness, we need to have a clear understanding of how God in Christ forgave us. And so that is what this parable that we're going to take a look at this morning shows us. 
It's, it's the parable of the unforgiving servant. It's in Matthew chapter 18, the only place that it appears in scripture. And in this parable, Jesus is going to show us how he forgives. And then he's challenging us to do the same. So we're going to pick it up here in Matthew 18, starting in verse 23. This is part of a larger uh, talk that Jesus is giving about forgiveness. And he says this starting in 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. So in verse 24, we talked about talents a little bit last week. Uh, The servant owes 10,000 talents. Now a talent represents 20 years of wages, as you remember from last week. So what this means is that this servant owes 200,000 years worth of labor. You thought your debt was bad. 200,000, maybe it feels like 200,000 years, but that is just an unimaginable sum, right? 200,000 years worth of labor. Like, how did this happen? (laughs) What did he do? Like, whenever I read this, I think, like, how did he possibly get into this debt? Obviously, a lot of bad decisions, I'm sure. But the point is, this is a debt that he cannot hope to pay, right? There's no chance, 200,000 years. And in the parable, this is symbolic of us and the problem we face with sin, right? We all owe a debt we can never pay because we have all decided to disobey and go against God's will. We have all sinned. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. We all have fallen short of the standard that God has set and the standard that God has the right to set because he has created everything. He is in charge. I think a lot of people look at that and think, well, I'm, I'm good at heart, right? I'm a good person. It's easy to look on TV at the news, right? We have all these mass shootings and horrible things going on and think, well, there's the sinner, right? But I, I just mess up now and then, but we're, we're comparing to the wrong thing, right? Because if you look at the holiness of God, we fall short. We're, we're all short of his perfection, his righteousness. And when you look at that, it becomes really clear that we, we just do not measure up. We all have turned aside from his ways. We've all disobeyed him, dishonored him. And as verse 25 gets at here, right, there's a, there's a penalty. There's payment to be made for that. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. We all deserve to die for our rebellion against God. And that's heavy to hear, unpleasant to hear, perhaps, but that is the truth that we face. And that is the truth that the servant faces in this parable. He's up against this staggering debt, suffocating debt. And I think his reaction is kind of interesting in verse 26, right? He falls on his knees and he says, hey, just give me more time. I can pay this off. And maybe at first that seems like, oh, he's trying. That's maybe a little noble, right? He's doing his best. But think about what he's saying. Have patience for 200,000 years. That's impossible, right? That doesn't even make sense. Just think of the interest that's occurring every second on this debt. Like 200,000 years have patience. There's no way. I think sometimes this is how we approach our sin, right? If I just do enough good, you know, maybe eventually I'll be able to pay it off. Like just give me more time. I'll make up for it. Just give me one more chance. This time I'll get it right. Of course, we all know just from experience that that just doesn't happen, right? There's no amount of good we can do that can make up for our sin. There's, you can't go to church more. You can't give to more charity. You can't do enough nice things. This This debt is just too big. Just like this man, we are all hopelessly in debt. If not, 
if not for the mercy of the master. Look what the master says in verse 27. Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Pretty simple. Out of pity for him, right? Not because of his merit, not because of what he said, but only because of the goodness and the kindness and the grace of the master. This man is fully forgiven of his debt. Could you, could you imagine what that was like? 200,000 years of labor gone in an instance. Like his entire life changed just in a moment. And that is the forgiveness that Jesus offers to all of us. Right? There is a debt. It must be paid. We all deserve to die. But Jesus died in our place. He came to earth. He lived a holy life. He never sinned. Then he died on the cross, taking the penalty that we all deserve. And then he rose again. And the gospel, right, the call is if you repent and turn from your sin to Jesus, that debt is gone, fully forgiven. The death sentence is gone. We see that in Romans 6, 23 as well. It says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's the gospel. That's the good news. It is also the standard for forgiving. This is what Jesus is teaching us in this parable. If we're to forgive as God in Christ forgave us, as what Ephesians chapter four was saying, it's not about saying the right words, right? It's about in your heart, canceling debt, canceling the debt of those who owe us. When someone does wrong against you, they owe you something, right? They have, they have taken something from you. Maybe it's your security, your trust, your time, your money, even, but they owe you a debt. And how, how can you pay that back with money? Sure. You pay the money back. Right, how, do you, how do you pay someone back if you know, they've done something against you to, to lose your trust or they say a cruel, cruel word to you? Like, what is the value on that? What is the dollar amount? I'm sure you can do nice things and say nice words after that, but there's still this thing between you. It doesn't quite fix what was said or what was done. That's why true forgiveness is about canceling debt without them paying you anything back and living as though no debt exists. None of this, well, you better be nice to me from now on, or, hey, I'll forgive you, but you owe me some dishes, you know, washing dishes the rest of the week. It's, no, there's no debt that exists. There's nothing between you and that person anymore. You love them, you serve them, you pray, pray for them. And why is that? That is what God has done for us. Right? For those who are in Jesus Christ, there is nothing between us and God, we are reconciled. And that's what this parable is trying to show us. But of course, we don't do that, do we? We struggle to forgive even the smallest mistakes that are done against us. As Paul says back in Ephesians 4, we grow bitter, we develop malice, we hold grudges. And so Jesus doesn't end the parable here with this nice, happy ending. Instead, he goes on, tells more of the story, and he flashes this spotlight right on us and our response to his forgiveness. This is what he says in 28 to 30. When that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Very familiar, right? The same exact thing. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now, the first observation I have here is that this debt was not trivial, a hundred denarii, that's about a hundred days of labor. Definitely less than 200,000 years, right? Definitely less, but still a significant sum. Like if you think of a hundred days of, of your salary or how much your household earns, that's a lot. The point of this parable isn't belittling the things that have been done against us. Like this man was legitimately owed by this other 
servant, right? It's not like, oh, just get over it, right? Um, Rather, the point of this parable is to challenge you to respond differently to the things that have been done against you. Respond differently to the debt that is owed to you in response to how God has treated your debt against him. That's the idea, right? This man is faced with the exact same situation in the reverse. Now he's the one who is owed. And here's this person saying, please, please, you know, just give me more time. But rather than cancel the debt, as what just happened with him, he demands payment. And he even goes a little further too, right? He starts choking this, this other person. He seeks to harm him, get vengeance, get revenge, throws him in prison, despite what just happened. This amazing turn of events in his life, you know, all that debt gone, his character just isn't changed. His heart is still hard towards this, towards this other person. I think the question this brings up is, is that what is going on in your heart? today. You probably aren't choking people. I hope you're not. Right? You can't throw them in prison, but there's other things we get to do, right? We can ignore people, give them the silent treatment. We can talk bad about people behind their backs. Maybe anytime they do something good, you instantly remember, ah, yes, but I remember on this date, they did this to me, right? You bring it up every single time. You're not trying to serve them, love them. Why would you? They owe you. They hurt you. They don't deserve that. You see, Even if we verbally say, I forgive you, it's not about some magic words that we say. Even if you smile when they're around, it's not about some outward behavior. Forgiveness is in the heart, and it's all about canceling debt. That is what it is about. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. And the next passage, Jesus shows uh, how God views it when when we lack forgiveness. 31 to 35. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, I find the reaction of the other servants here pretty telling, right? It says they were greatly distressed, greatly distressed. A lack of forgiveness in life is a, is a distressing thing, right? It's, it's hard. It's not good. And then the master, of course, is, is angered. He calls this behavior wicked. Uh, not extending forgiveness is wrong. It's sin. That's how God views that. The, the response that God commands in view of his mercy is to be merciful in return, right? That's what verse 33 says. Should, you not, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Now, what does verse 34 and 35 mean? Maybe a little scary, right? If I don't forgive people, does this mean God is going to take away my forgiveness? That's what it seems to be saying. Uh, but that's not, that's not the point here. That's not what Jesus is trying to say. Rather, Jesus is pointing us to the consequences that we face when, when we don't forgive in return. Right, if you think about this man's life in the parable, his life was totally ruined because he couldn't forgive. Right, his life is totally ruined. He ends up right back where he was in the first place, even though his, his debt was forgiven. He ends up right in, in prison again. Right, his life is destroyed. There are consequences in this life to not forgiving. 
And the passage is also hinting here at, at the eternal consequences that we face if we have a lack of forgiveness in our life. The word there for jailers in the Greek is torturers. And so this is alluding to the eternal judgment those who do not turn to Christ, those who don't uh, accept Jesus' forgiveness face for all eternity because of their sin. And so the implication here is that though the offer of forgiveness was extended to this servant, he didn't accept it or he didn't understand it. And his reaction to the debts owed to him reveals that. It's very similar to the other things we've been talking about in this series with the parables, right? The parable of the sower, your response to scripture over time continually shows what your, your heart is towards scripture, what landing place you are to the seed. Uh, your faithfulness over time shows if you're really a disciple and here, what we're seeing is your, your forgiveness of others demonstrates if you truly understand the forgiveness you've been offered in return by Jesus. So I'm not sure where you are today. I imagine there's people in a lot of different places. Maybe you're a Christian who has, who has genuinely accepted the gift of salvation that, that Christ offered, but you're not really living in light of that. Perhaps that's you today. You're not forgiving in return. Perhaps you, you've never accepted the forgiveness of God at all. But what verse 35 is showing, what Jesus is showing us here is that in either case, there's torment ahead, right? There's, there's a consequence to having a lack of forgiveness in your life. You know, you can have a lifetime of hiding your face, a lifetime of these awkward Thanksgivings and a lifetime of fractured relationships and bitterness. And if you don't eventually accept the forgiveness that Jesus offers, it's a, it's a lifetime an eternity separated from him in judgment because of our sin. You see, what this parable is showing us is that forgiveness leads to life, but a lack of forgiveness takes it away. Forgiveness is not easy. You know, it's not easy. There is debt. There is real pain and hurt there, but it is worth it. It is worth it. It leads to life. So then do we forgive from the heart as Jesus instructs and as God in Christ forgave us? Well, I think I see three principles here in this parable. We need to forgive first, we need to forgive fully, and we need to forgive forever. First, we need to forgive first. In the story, the, the servant who is owed, or who owes all these talents, he actually never asks for forgiveness, right? He pleads for more time, but he never ever asks, hey, would you take this away? Rather, the master offers that first. He extends forgiveness first. And that's what Jesus does for us. We see this in Romans chapter five, starting in verse six. For while we were still weak, while we were still in sin, at, this, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. You see, while we are still sinners, Jesus offered forgiveness. This isn't teaching that everyone goes to heaven, right? We still need to accept his forgiveness. We still need to turn to Christ and, and repent of our sin. But the idea is that God didn't wait for me to repent before he put his plan into action, right? Jesus died on the cross first. God initiated. And if we look at the context of this parable, right before this, as I mentioned in the beginning, Jesus is teaching on forgiveness and he tells his disciples in verse 15, Matthew 18, 15, to do this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained 
your brother. See, just like Jesus, we are called to take initiative. We are called to offer forgiveness first, to go out and extend it. Now, you'll see here, it does say, if he listens, which is, I think, a very important part. There is no guarantee that they're going to say sorry. There's no guarantee that they'll even think they did something wrong. But that, that's not for you to decide. We are called to take the initiative. We are called to offer forgiveness first and take the initiative because that's what Jesus did for us. Right? If you think about it, Jesus offers forgiveness to everyone and many do not accept it. Many just spit in his face and mock him. Don't believe him, right? But so we are called to forgive first, even if they don't say sorry, if they never say sorry. Now, hopefully they do. Right? The goal is reconciliation here. But even if they don't reconcile, we can have peace in our hearts knowing that we did what we were called to do. We acted like Christ. We forgave first. We forgave as God in Christ forgave us. I think this brings up the question, what if you're on the other side of things? What if uh, you're not the one who's been wrong, but you're the one who did the wrong? What are you supposed to do? Well, Jesus talks about that in Matthew chapter 5 as part of the... Um, the uh, Sermon on the Mount, he says, if your brother sin, oh, sorry. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So you see, it's the same thing. If you realize you have wronged someone, you are again called to take initiative and seek in this case, forgiveness first. This is a priority before you even go on worshiping. We are to seek Forgiveness. If we are to forgive as Jesus forgave, we need to forgive first. The second thing we see in the parable is we need to forgive fully. Right? In the parable, the master forgives all the talents. Could you imagine if he said, you know what? Take 5,000 off, just 100,000 years, and then we'll call it even. You'd be like, oh, thanks. <laughs> That's very helpful. Right? It, it doesn't really work, right? It just doesn't quite work if it's only a partial thing. Could you imagine standing before Jesus and he's like, I forgave most of your sins. That'd be horrifying, right? That'd be horrifying. If just one sin is unforgiven, the wage is death because God is holy and perfect. Partial forgiveness is worthless. It's not even forgiveness. There's no such thing. Forgiveness is about canceling debt fully because that's what Jesus does for us. He fully forgives First John talks about this in chapter one, verses seven through nine. If we walk in, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All, right? Jesus forgives fully. There is no debt left. It is canceled entirely. Now, look, I think offering full forgiveness may take some time. It can be a process. There may need to be some healing. You know, I know there are people here who've had some very horrible things done to you. I understand that. God understands that and sees that. You may feel like you've fully forgiven only to later realize there's still something there and you need to take that before God again and, and go through that process of forgiving again. And that's okay, but we're called to persevere and keep going if we're to forgive as Jesus forgave. He forgives us fully. Fully. And the last thing is, he forgives forever. And we are called to forgive forever too. Right before this parable, Peter asked Jesus this question after the 
part where Jesus is teaching on forgiveness. And he asked this in verse 21, Matthew 18. Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, where does seven come from? Why do you say that? Like, where do you pull this number out, right? Well, in the Jewish tradition at the time, the rabbis were teaching that three was the standard of forgiveness. If you were forgiving someone three times, you were doing good. Like, that was the righteous thing to do. Now, three is still a lot of times. That's a lot of times. Imagine if someone comes up and punches you in the face. You're like, I forgive you. And the next time you see them, they punch you in the face. I'd be done. I don't even get to two. Three is a lot. Three is a lot. And so Peter says, well, seven, maybe seven is the right thing here. I don't know why he says this. Scripture doesn't quite tell us. Maybe he's trying to like appear extra, you know, righteous or something. Because three is the standard. I'm going to say seven. Uh, Maybe he's just anticipating what Jesus is going to say. He's been around Jesus. Jesus has surely forgiven him over seven times by this point. Maybe he's seen that as anticipating I don't know why he says seven exactly, but, but the answer, right, is not seven, but 77. Now, of course, this is a, a use of hyperbole, right? It's not like at 78, you stop, but <laughs> 78 punches in the face. The point is, you forgive forever. There is no limit. There's no cutoff point. You forgive every single time. Staggering, right? Surely, eventually, you would write them off. No. Because again, Jesus is the model. He forgives us every single time, every single stray thought we have, every stupid thing we do. Even when we say, God, I'm never going to do this again. And the next day you do it again and again and again, God forgives you every single time, forever. He forgives forever. Now, I do think we should approach this with wisdom, right? If you do have a friend who every time you invite them over, they punch you in the face. At some point, stop inviting them over. Right? There's some wisdom here. But the point is, if you do invite them and they punch you in the face, you forgive them every single time. That's what Jesus is teaching us here because that is how God in Christ forgave us first fully and forever. And that's what we're called to do in the same. So what do you think life would look like if you did this? What do you think our relationships would look like if you put this into practice well, there's a, sc- a story in scripture that I think highlights the, the, the result of forgiveness well. And I want to close this morning with this story. We see this in Luke chapter 7. One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's ho- house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he, in Jesus, was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. So this is an emotional scene, right? Could you imagine just being here and just seeing this woman come in weeping? starting to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair. What I think is clear from her um, response here and her actions here is you can see that she is repentant, right? She, she is literally at Jesus' feet. She realizes she is a sinner, and she realizes that she needs help and forgiveness. And then we read on in, in 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. 
And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to, to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. So you can also see kind of the other reaction, right? Simon, this Pharisee, you can see just the hardness of his heart. There's a lack of forgiveness there. Right? He's like, she is a sinner. Like, how, how dare she be here at Jesus's feet? And so Jesus sees this and he tells this uh, smaller parable here, starting in verse 41. A certain money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to, said to him, you have judged rightly. It goes on in 44. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And then to close out the story in verse 48, and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin, sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So you see in this story, if we actually go back one slide, you see that forgiveness strengthens relationships. Forgiveness strengthens relationships. It leads to more love, right? Her love of Jesus indicates that she has been forgiven quite a bit, and she realizes that. And then the, the same is true on the other side, right? With Simon, he is forgiven little. He doesn't quite understand forgiveness. He can't offer it. So, of course, he doesn't love Jesus quite as much. That's the idea. And this is what happens in our relationship with God. The more we understand and grasp just the depth of our sin, which is quite deep, quite deep, right? the, more, the more we realize that, and then the more we realize just the depth of his forgiveness, just deeper, right, full. Our, our love for him just grows and grows and grows. You see, we're all in this story, the 500 denarii person. We're all the 10,000 talent person. We all have been forgiven much by God. And praise God for that too, right? And I think what you see too, the, the same thing happens with our family, our friends, and all of our relationships. We all sin against each other. But as we forgive each other and as we accept forgiveness from each other, our bonds grow tighter, but of course, the opposite of, is true as well, right? If we don't do that, our bonds weaken, bitterness, envy, all that grows. And I think the other thing you see in, in the last slide there, the very last verse, uh, this leads to peace, right? Go in peace. Jesus tells her, go in peace. There is nothing between this woman and Jesus now. The debt's gone. She's forgiven first fully and forever. She is at peace with God for she has been forgiven. The debt is Gone, And that is the effect that true Christ-like forgiveness has on our relationships too. It brings peace into them. It strengthens them. And, and I've definitely seen this in my life. I started by talking about my marriage with Jess um, and just the different things and opportunities we've had to forgive each other. Some of them have been silly. One that comes to mind is Jess and I have very different sleeping schedules. I, I probably need like seven hours of sleep or so, maybe a little less. Jess needs more than that. That's all I'm going to say. She needs more. Um, so every morning, uh, I wake up earlier. 
and I go into, we live in a, a one-bedroom apartment, so I go into the other room to, to read my Bible and pray for a little bit and while she finishes sleeping. And uh, we have our lights hooked up to our Alexa. So every morning, I wake up, and I go into the living room, and I say, Alexa, turn on the living room light. The light goes on, and I can read because it's still dark when I wake up. Now, every morning, I'm also in the back of my mind thinking, do not say, Alexa, turn on the bedroom light. Because I've learned one thing in my marriage is just does not like it when lights go on when, she, when she's trying to sleep. Weird, but she doesn't like that. So, of course, it's like the pink elephant thing, right? Like, don't think of pink elephants. Every morning, I'm like, don't say bedroom light. And then, of course, every now and then, I say, Alexa, turn on the bedroom light. And then I hear a sound <laughs> that fills me with fear. And <laughs> you kind of have to hear it to know, but, like, the best description I can give is like a mummy being resurrected, just <laughs> like that. I think, oh no. <laughs> so I run into the bedroom. I'm so sorry, sweetheart. Will you forgive me? She's like, how could you do this to me? <laughs> but she, she knows it's true. Uh, but she forgives me eventually, fully, I hope. Um, silly, right? But you can imagine if over the course of a very long marriage, if that continued to happen, may lead to some trouble and some bitterness. So I'm very grateful for her forgiveness in that area. But there have also been some more serious things that have come up as well. Um, before I became a Christian, I was very uh, addicted to porn. That was a big uh, part of my story. And I'm very grateful that when I became a Christian, uh, God started to heal that, and I started turning that over to him and experiencing just his, his forgiveness and his uh, his cleansing of that and his help over a long period of time. Uh, but there are still scars that I have from that time of my life. It was bad. Um, and, and there's still scars I have. And, you know, I still, even to this day, uh, deal with temptation to have lust and, and just think lustful thoughts. Um, as an aside, if you were wondering, does that go away when you get married? It doesn't. Um, it's still there. And so there was a point uh, about a year or so into our marriage, right? When I fell back into that way of thinking again for a little while. And, uh, you know, the Bible takes that very seriously. Um, in Matthew chapter five, Jesus says, you know, if you gaze at a woman with, with lust in your heart, you're committing adultery in your heart. Um, that's a serious thing. And, and over that kind of period when I was thinking that way again, uh, God really convicted me of that and started showing that to me. And so I took that before God. I, I repented of that. I, I, experienced his forgiveness, just as we've been talking about. But I also just felt that there was still, you know, the debt was gone between me and God, but there was still something between me and Jess. And so I was like, I need to talk to her about this and confess this and get her forgiveness. I, I can't brush this under the rug as much as maybe I wanted to. So I did. And we had that conversation. It was, it was a tough conversation, but a good conversation. And she was very gracious to me and, and uh, forgiving, forgiving me as, as God in Christ forgave me. And I'm very grateful for that and very thankful for that. Um, and what I experienced is exactly what I've just been talking about. Our relationship strengthened because that, that kind of thing could destroy relationships, right? That could destroy a marriage. But ours was strengthened because she forgave me first fully and forever, just as God forgave me first fully and forever. And then there was peace Right, there wasn't this restlessness anymore. There's something between us. There was peace. And I really, we've really experienced that. We have not been perfect in our marriage. Uh, we mess up all the time. 
in small ways and in big ways, but we're learning to make it a habit to forgive first, fully, and forever. And I think we're closer now than we've, than we've been um, on, that, on our wedding day. So I'm very grateful for that. This, this forgiveness stuff is real. I think sometimes as Christians, you hear forgiveness so much, it's almost like a cliche, like, ah, oh, yeah, Jesus forgave my sins. Yeah, yeah, we forgive. We forgive our Christians. But this is like real. This has power. We have to take this seriously because forgiveness leads to life. But a lack of forgiveness takes it away. So I encourage everyone this morning, you know, forgive as God in Christ forgave us. Forgive first, forgive fully, and forgive forever. Let's pray. God, um, we're very thankful for what you have offered us and your forgiveness and what Jesus did on the cross. We don't deserve it, um, but you have graciously given it to us. So I pray, Lord, that we would first develop a really deep, crystal clear understanding of what that is, that you would uh, expose our sin to us, make it very apparent, but God, that you would also show us your deep love for us too, that we can turn to you and experience that debt being fully canceled. And Lord, I pray that we would then extend that to others, God. We are not perfect. You certainly know that, and we all know that too. So I pray, Father, that you would um, just strengthen us this morning, embolden us this morning to uh, to go out and, and seek forgiveness if we need it from you and others, and also extend that. So thank you, God, so much for what you offer us. We love you so much. We're so grateful. In your name, amen.